Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen concludes her two-part discussion with Dr. Meg Van Dusen on how our modern culture is creating barriers to human attachment. Hello, everybody. This is Karen Doyle Buckwalter, your host of the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. So glad to have you back here with me today. I have a really interesting guest for us today, and I am so looking forward to the interview with her. I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Uh, Meg Van Dusen. And she, let me tell you a little bit about her background. Um, she began her undergraduate studies as a psychology major at Santa Clara University. And during her studies, she developed an interest in language and writing and graduated with a Bachelor of Arts degree in English and a minor in German from Santa Clara University in 1985. After some years as an English teacher and journalistic writer, she returned to school to study psychology. And she actually went on to get a PhD in psychology. I want to also share with you, um, she then went into private practice and began working with children, adolescents, and adults in inpatient and outpatient settings in Los Angeles and Seattle. She has a knowledge and passion for attachment theory, mindfulness, interpersonal neurobiology, sleep and dreams inform her belief that meaningful connection with ourselves and others helps us handle stress. In her review of the literature um, and interviews, she uh, wrote a book uh, and the book is called Stressed in the U.S., 12 Tools to Tackle Anxiety, Loneliness, Tech Addiction, and More. And uh, as I mentioned just a minute ago, it's a very uh, well-researched book um, where she spoke with a lot of, um, not only spoke with researchers, but she has lots of wonderful citations um, of research supporting her ideas. And through all of this, she's cultivated a firsthand understanding of how our current American culture is creating barriers to human attachments and therefore weakening our ability to handle stress we face today. So I am thinking that you all are going to be as intrigued as I was by what Dr. Van Dusen has to share with us. Her ideas about attachment and our attachment to our nation, attachment to our culture, attachment to ourselves are really fascinating and innovative and interesting. And I will also say, I'll I'll probably say this uh, once she's uh, live here with us, but her background in English is also obvious in her book, Stressed in the U.S. It's exceptionally well written, and I would recommend it to all of you who are listening. So we will be back on with Dr. Van Dusen in just a moment. 
Sought-after speaker and trainer Karen Doyle Buckwalter and trauma-informed school specialist Josh Carlson are coming together for a one-day workshop you won't want to miss. June 5th in Atlanta, Georgia, Lessons from the Toughest Kids features practical evidence-based strategies for working with challenging children and adolescents. You'll experience engaging lecture, discussions, and role-play with proven strategies from over 25 years of working with some of the nation's most complex children. Go beyond theory and book knowledge with Karen Doyle Buckwalter and Josh Carlson, June 5th in Atlanta, Georgia. Tickets are on sale now. Visit tkcchaddock.org or find us on Facebook. Great to be continuing our discussion, um, Dr. Van Dusen. So good to, to have this time with you, and I really appreciate you being here on the podcast. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks, Karen. Yeah, so one of the things that I've really been thinking about um, that I also like about your approach, and I know uh, we're going to get into some real specific ideas that you have to help with uh, what you're writing about in terms of stress in the U.S. and how it's impacting attachment. But before we go into that, uh, I've been thinking about how it really depathologizes um, a lot of the ways we think about anxiety and attachment and things like that. We usually think of that as like an interpersonal psychological thing. Um, and one of the things that I've, I really love about, um, for example, Mary Pfeiffer, um, who wrote Reviving Ophelia and is a psychologist and, a cult, and an anthropologist looking heavily at culture is we have to look at context here. I mean, with everything that you were talking about in our previous conversation, there's really good reason to feel anxious. Like this isn't just like a psychological diagnosis we're slapping on an individual. <laughs> I mean, this is really in in what we're living in right now with all of the things that you said, with, with technology, with global, the, the impact of technology, the negative impact of technology, I guess I should say. And um, I like that. I guess it's helping us understand, you know, it's not just me. Like there's a lot of hard stuff going on around people right now. Yeah, there is. And I think one of the things that's, you know, pervasive and that I'm sure you hear, I hear all the time when you greet friends or colleagues or um, even, you know, the grocery store clerk is that people are often saying, I'm so overwhelmed. Yes. So stressed. Um, and, you know, some of that has to do with how much information is streaming in um, via, you know, uh, various channels. Um, I talk a little bit in the book about, you know, just how TVs are everywhere. Um, they're on the treadmill at the gym. They're on the restaurant wall or at the airports. You know, news apps on our phones, you know, are constantly flashing or alerting us to the latest news, usually um, negative and sometimes uh, really frightening. Uh, and so it's thinking about that and thinking about how, much we are bombarded with information and how studies have shown even the ring ding ping of the smartphone increases cortisol in the body. It, it sets off the stress response. Um, you know, that we, we really have to be mindful um, and intentional um, about not just being at the mercy of the way things are going, but to, you know, intervene on how our daily lives seem to be going and to change that. 
Yeah. So one of the things that you mentioned in the book that I was like, yes, I feel that way. It's true. Amen. Um, was when you talked about, um, I forget the term you used, but it was basically like learning technology exhaustion. Like, okay, now this is how this new program works. Okay. Now, you know, um, this is the, now I have to remember this password. Okay. Now there's a new app for the bank. Okay. Now I just got used to the old app for the bank. Okay. So now, you know, I'm trying, you know, to, keep in touch with my friends on Instagram or Facebook, but now I opened it and it looks totally different and I don't know how to work it anymore. <laughs> exactly. And I really appreciated you naming that, 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 that constantly having to catch on to something new and learn something new. You know, my daughter, um, my, my son bought her uh, Echo Alexa thing for, for Christmas and she was having a little trouble setting it up and she said, is this how old ladies feel? (laughs) (laughs) It's taking me a little while to catch on to her and I'm not used to feeling this way. And I'm like, yes, yes. So I I just wanted to point out that I really appreciated how you named the exhaustion that comes from that, that we also deal with today. Yeah, we do. And, you know, I really recommend that people take a look at, I've walked many clients through this because they've come presenting with the fact that they are uh, constantly stressed. They're finding that they're constantly stressed, that they can't settle down at night. Um, And so I do talk about different kinds of boundaries around technology and particularly the smartphone. And the reason I talk about the smartphone most is because it's become an appendage. Yes. Um, is, you know, I talk about content boundaries. So removing particular apps from your phone. I had one client who um, we were, we decided that she would remove all her social media um, from her phone because she was becoming, she was just becoming less efficient at work. Um, And then working longer hours um, because she was intermittently checking her Facebook or Instagram or whatnot. And she did that and it had an extraordinary impact. I mean, she felt better. She was getting her work done. She was able to go home on time. She was able to go to the gym in the evening where she hadn't been able to before. Um, So those would be content boundaries. And then I also talk about place boundaries or time boundaries. So we have a rule in our house that there are never phones at any meal time, not even um, visibly present because studies do show that even if you're not using your phone and it's sitting on the counter, um, it raises cortisol levels, your awareness um, mm-hmm. that it's there and what you might be missing um, or who might be calling or pinging you. So really removing um, the phone entirely at, from places, you know, the dinner table. Um, we do the same thing in the car, of course, because it's an illusion that uh, hands-free conversation is actually safe, you know, safe yeah, you while say, driving. Yeah, you say in your book that the incidence of accidents is not that different with hands-free. No, no, it's, it's um, I think you're four times more likely to get into a car accident than if you weren't speaking at all with anybody and you were just driving. I don't, mm-hmm. I mean, speaking via the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I talk about place boundaries and then I also talk about time boundaries, um, uh, which, you know, is a little bit harder for people who, you know, maybe some people work in the tech field and, you know, and so they, and they work on an app. 
Um, you know, I have one client that this was the case. He worked on an app and had to have his phone with him at all the time, but was really begging for help with intervention at night because he, you know, and he's of the millennial generation and learned to read all his books on uh, Kindle and, you know, do everything um, on a device. Um, but it was really impacting, worsening his um, already existent ADHD symptoms. And so, you know, we just really worked on time boundaries that no matter what um, the devices were going off, they were being turned off, um, you know, one to two hours before bedtime Mm -hmm. uh, to protect him, at least from that blue light and from the amount of stimulation that we get from the device. Yeah. Yeah. And why that's pertinent to attachment, um, (laughs) you know, is because we're not, when we're constantly interacting with the device, we're not present with ourselves. Yes. And we need, you know, we talk about in attachment theory, the primary caregiver and the infant, but there's also internal attachment as adults. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, you know, we need to have a secure attachment with ourselves um, in order to navigate this life well. Um, And tech can really get in the way of that. Yeah, I think those things are so important. I mean, I've had to, I've had to institute that my phone can't be in my bedroom. I mean, it just, um, it was preventing me from, I I know some things say you shouldn't read in bed and your bed should just be for sleeping, whatever. I love to read in bed. Like I, I love that so much. And, but if my phone's there, I like pick it up. And next thing you know, I'm scrolling on news and I I mean, I'm like, what am I doing? You know? So, um, and, uh, so I, I just so completely agree. And I love how we're getting into some of the things that you, you talk about. I want to go over your, you know, 12 practices. I know we don't have a lot of time, but I just, I know we've been alluding to some of them. I just want to make sure we don't, we don't, um, miss any of those but uh, before we do that the attachment to self because we haven't talked about that too much up until you just mentioned it and I loved um, you referenced Kristen Neff and compassion and even speaking to yourself um, like using your name for me you know it's okay Karen it's gonna be okay and uh, I tried some of that and it really was powerful and Mm -hmm. I I mean I so so talk about that a little bit more like your attachment to yourself and how you bring some of those things into the book and recommend it was Peter Fonagy who came up with the term mentalizing and David Wallen took it a little bit further um, when he wrote his book attachment and psychotherapy and talked about mindfulness as um, well Alan Shore has too as um, you know really key um, to creating secure attachment and And Siegel and Siegel, Siegel, of course. I'm not going to forget Dan Siegel, um, whose whole mindset therapy is really connected. Um, you know, it's it's his uh, you know predominant way of helping people feel uh, better, safer, increase their self esteem, and everything. So, um, in terms of having a more secure attachment to the self. The good news in attachment theory, as we know, is that your attachment style can change. So if you grew up in a 
in a difficult environment and you, um, as a result, have an insecure attachment, that that doesn't have to be lifelong. And um, obviously psychotherapy is a help in terms of how to change that and our relationships with other people who are securely attached help. But you can also develop a relationship with yourself that can enhance secure attachment because mindfulness and I, and through mindfulness and in mindfulness, the components of mindfulness, um, predominantly, you know, non-judgment, compassion and presence are really the components of, uh, what's important in the caregiver infant exchange for secure attachment, right? It's just attunement. Yes. Um, and so what that means is being, pa- first what we have to do is pause. Um, we're running constantly. Yes. We just have to pause. And sometimes what I tell clients is, you know, pair it with something that you do every day if it's brushing your teeth. So you don't say, oh yeah, I forgot to pause today. Make it that it's something that you do every day, and so you know now when you brush your teeth, you put down the toothbrush, and now you pause. And you maybe close your eyes so that you're not visually distracted. Maybe you don't. You look yourself in the mirror, which can be another way of attuning to yourself. And you just get present with what's happening in your body in the present moment, what you might be feeling. Maybe you even say, how are you doing, Karen? so that you can start to be aware of what's happening in your mind and your body and your emotional self. Mm-hmm. And then to have a non, this is key, a non-judgmental compassionate response to whatever you find um, is really important to creating a sense of security. So much of anxiety is driven by people's fear of judgment. But as you can imagine, if you're releasing judgment of yourself, um, you're not going to be that worried about what other people think. Um, you know, if you're, if you're okay with you, if you're giving yourself compassionate responses, such as, I'm here with you, Karen, yes. um, you know, it's okay, Um then you're just going to feel more grounded. You're going to feel stronger um, and you're going to be able to navigate an angry boss better. Right. Yeah. Yes. Which is true for people who are securely attached. Um, They are able to regulate emotion better. I mean, I think one of the biggest um, up here in Washington, one of the biggest examples of that has been Marsha Lenahan's program, Dialectical Behavioral Therapy Program, which has a huge mindfulness component. Yes. It was designed originally to treat borderline personality disorder. We know borderline personality disorder people have insecure attachment. Um, and the mindfulness component, and I've had clients go through that program, the mindfulness component was really key to increasing this um, sense of security within the self. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I want to look here, um, the 12 practices that you have in the final chapter of your book, there's eye contact, which you've already talked about that to a degree. Is there anything else you want to mention about that? Or I, I do want to say um, that we are looking at each other less because our screens are in the way and because yes. we're overwhelmed and harried. Um, 
to be intentional about looking your children in the eye is so key. And I think the thing that I most want to say about that is with regard to attachment is new parents. While it might be alluring to try to answer your email while you're feeding your baby, um, I really recommend that you put down the devices and that you look your baby in the eye and that you be present with the baby and, you know, have that um, eye gaze that's so key to secure attachment occur. Even with older kids, you know, I've, I've had to be really intentional in the mornings. Um, and I do this every morning um, when my son is going off to school to instead of running around doing whatever I'm doing to try to get ready for work, I stop, I go over to him. Sometimes I give him a hug. Sometimes I put my hands on, my, on his shoulders, but I look him in the eye and I tell him, you know, I hope you have a good day mm-hmm. um, or whatever is pertinent to that day. And I just yeah. think that's really key. There's just that moment um, you know, of, of positive exchange can release oxytocin, which is this feel-good social hormone that we um, also benefit from. Uh, and it helps create just a little bit more of a sense of interdependence on one another that creates a sense of safety. Um, so not just with kids, but I, I, I particularly wanted to emphasize that with kids. Yeah, yeah, because uh, Stan Tacken and others are talking about the importance of that eye contact for couples and taking the right. time, you know, to look in each other's eyes. So I'm going to name all of these off. I, I know we're getting towards the, the end of our hour, and you can let me know. But just for our listeners, I'm going to name the rest of the ones that you have here, um, and, and then you can elaborate on whichever ones you want. So we had the eye contact, release judgment set compassionate boundaries and you um, be honest, widen the lens, practice mindfulness and meditation, eat well, get sleep, exercise, get in nature, employ agency and cultivate hope are on your list. And I wish we had enough time for you to, you know, talk about each of them at length. But what are some things as we begin to wind down that you'd like to share from some of those? Well, I really, um, like to talk about nature um, because we have gotten estranged um, from our planet, which is why we're in the predicament we're in. Um, But also because the research on nature is fascinating. Um, You know, nature, being in nature um, for even a short period of time, and you don't have to live in a beautiful environment, you know, beautiful natural environment to do this. you know, you can live in the city and you can get outside and be intentional about looking up at the sky and just watching it for a few minutes, watching the clouds, um, maybe watching the birds. Um, Maybe there's some rustling of leaves in the tree. Just being present in nature um, has shown to reduce cortisol, um, to help us be more generous with each other, um, so it's a, it's sort of a pro-social, um, you know, effect, um, which comes back to uh, attachment. And it also has shown to give us a sense of belonging. And again, with the loneliness statistic being as uh, unbelievably high as it is in our country, um, 
try to think less about loneliness being having a bunch of people around because it's really not about that. It's more about perception. Um, but also, you know, include the fact that you can go take a brief walk or you can sit on a park bench and you can be without your technology and in nature and that that can actually decrease your sense of alienation and increase your sense of connection. So there are a lot of reasons um, why nature is a key component in the 12 tools because not only does it literally decrease stress hormones, um, but it increases our sense of connectedness. Well, I have to say, um, you were really preaching to the choir here because um, I moved to South Carolina um, five years ago, and I've always wanted to be a hiker and backpacker and an outdoors person, and I just sort of didn't grow up that way. I was in, in the Midwest for a long time, not a lot of mountains and things, and I started here. There was lots of places to hike in the Blue Ridge Mountains, and I um, had some really hard stuff going on when I moved here. And I kept coming from the, home from these hikes, telling my husband, "The woods are healing me." <laughs> that's, what, that's what I would tell him. Yeah, it well, was, it's that, true. I could feel it. It yeah. was amazing. It was. I would be on these trails, and I could just feel something happening in me, um, and. It was really remarkable. Um, I, I, I think maybe it sounded a little hokey, but it, it, it really, I could feel it. It was so strong. Yeah, it's true. And, and even though I, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm trying to decrease people's um, interaction with their screens. I mean, some studies have shown if you can't get out in nature, that, you know, if you're watching nature scenes, like they, they studied Planet Earth, the documentary, um, if you're watching nature scenes on the screen, and so maybe in some doctor's offices, maybe some people have seen those nature screens on the scenes in the waiting area, um, that has also shown to you know, decrease the activity in what's called the default mode network, uh-huh. which is a part of the brain that tends to ruminate um, often negatively about ourselves. Uh-huh. Um, and has seemingly That's probably why the woods was happening. <laughs> absolutely, you know, and it has that mindfulness effect on us that engages the prefrontal cortex. So it almost has a meditative effect. Yes, yes, yeah. Uh, I'm looking what else here. I, you're, you're, you know, the twelve things that you talk about are just so rich and and so good. Um, trying to see if there's. Um, the tech boundaries, of course, we, we, we talked about, and the time boundaries and the place boundaries, um, content boundaries. Um. I think one, one thing that people is, um, you know, that this is kind of a new thing and it might seem out of left field in terms of how, you know, is this related to stress, um, but the concept of eating well Yes. Um, Is connected to the research on the gut microbiome and stress. Yes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, you know, uh, we are a fast food culture. Um, I talk about that we're a fast food culture, but I also talk about the fact that we eat fast. Um, And, you know, in mindfulness, there's the training of mindful eating. You can be mindful without meditating. That's a lot. A lot of people don't understand that. Um, And, so the idea of actually understanding that 
neurotransmitters, which many of which, you know, mood regulating neurotransmitters and hormones live in the gut mm-hmm. are affected by what you put in your gut. Yes. And so it's really important to eat well. Yes. Yeah. For your psychological well-being. Exactly. Um, right. And, you know, folks now talking about the gut brain and, you know, right. different people really emphasizing this and something I think that um, we're only recently really being starting to think about and talk about enough. Right. Yeah. yeah exactly. So glad that you, you had that, had that in the book. Um, yeah. So, well, let's, let's talk about, you know, where, where folks can, um, find the book and your website and, um, where they can learn more. It, everybody, I'm telling you, this book is awesome. You need to read it. Uh, <laughs> stress to the U S. Um, tell us anything else you'd, you'd like to about resources you have. Um, if you ever do any speaking, that kind of thing. Well, yeah, all that information would be on my main website, which is megvandusen.com. It's M-E-G-V-A-N-D-E-U-S-E-N.com. There's a books tab on that site. There's also a news tab with some interviews and other um, uh, podcasts that I've done and just basic information about the book. There's also the ability to buy the book um, from the site. Um, as well as, uh, of course, on Amazon, um, which is um, where apparently 80% of the people go to buy books these days. Um, And uh, I also have a blog called Site on Stress. um, And there is, um, you know, there are many um, blog posts that I've written there, but I also have a resources page of, you know, other books and uh, what other people are talking about that might be related to this topic. Great. Well, thank you so much. Um, You've put together a really comprehensive, well-written, wonderful resource. And um, I'm really glad to have been able to talk with you more about it and meet you and read the book. So thank you so much for, for being a guest here. Thank you, Karen. It's been great. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchattock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchattock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory. Attachment Theory.